Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, the All Blacks kick off their 2014 campaign when they play England, attempting to back up their unbeaten 2013 season. Irene van Dijk farewells the Silver Ferns. The rules are out for the next America's Cup, but Team New Zealand still doesn't know where the event will be. New Warriors boss Jim Doyle tells us how he intends handling feuding club owners Eric Watson and Sir Owen Glenn. The Black Caps begin their Caribbean challenge. Geraldine Rally driver Hayden Padden gets another shot at the World Rally Championship. And the athletic squad for the Commonwealth Games rises to 20 with the addition of another eight athletes. The All Blacks' attempt to back up their perfect season begins this weekend in the first of three tests against England at Auckland's Eden Park. England's the last side to enjoy a win over the world champions, but have arrived here under strength through injury and club commitments. However, the All Blacks are quick to stamp out any talk of complacency in the camp as they look ahead to next year's Rugby World Cup. Alex Coogan-Reeves reports. Quick hands for Reid. Oh, the set! It's going to be a try at the other end! It's been more than 18 months since the All Blacks suffered their last loss, with that masterclass from the English centre Manu Tuolangi selling a 38-21 victory at Twickenham. The All Blacks were heavily favoured to beat the English that day, and the halfback Aaron Smith admits the result still motivates him heading into the upcoming series. They kind of blew us away in the end, and that's really disappointing. And then, uh, obviously, being a big All Blacks fan when I was a kid, seeing the All Blacks lose, it was like someone died in New Zealand. So you don't want to uh, let people down, I guess. And the All Blacks is always that team that represents New Zealand, and you know how much it affects the Kiwis, and they love it. So, yeah, it is disappointing. But few are expecting a similar result in the season-opening test at Eden Park, with last weekend's English club premiership final putting 13 players out of contention for the tourists. That's prompted the former England coach Sir Clive Woodward to lash out at the scheduling of the tournament, comparing it to the infamous 98 tour from hell, when the visitors were thumped by the All Blacks, New Zealand A and the New Zealand Māori. As well as dealing with the unfavourable schedule, England will also have to contend with history, as they look to become just the third English side to beat the All Blacks at home, on a ground where they haven't been beaten in more than 20 years. The England captain Chris Robshaw admits his side's up against it, but believes his unheralded team has enough experience to prove the doubters wrong. A lot of the guys kind of down here now have been involved in one of those two games. So we have experienced what, what New Zealand can bring and, and what we can bring and how we can kind of counterpunch that, so to speak. I think in the whole of the English rugby history, I think it's been done twice. Coming down here. So no, it's definitely probably going to be the, the hardest thing we would have done. The All Blacks coach Steve Hansen is also refusing to buy into the talk of a weakened England side, wary of the events that unfolded at Twickenham in 2012. 
who says it's important they continue to get better in the build-up to 2015, despite winning all 14 of their tests last year. It is an issue because if we hang on to last year, we'll get thumped. So the first thing we've got to do is exactly what we did after winning the World Cup, put a full stop on it. You know, and, and yeah, it was a good year, but the reality is we could have been beaten you know, two or three times. You know, this England side can do some things better than we can, and, and we need to make sure that we improve in those areas so we at least get on similar ground to them. Steve Hansen's named his strongest available squad, blending youth and experience as he looks to blood players in time for the World Cup in the United Kingdom. The young hooker Dane Coles gets an opportunity to cement his place as the first choice at the position, while the up-and-coming players Patrick Tuipolotu, Malakai Fikitoa and TJ Piranara are all in line to make their test debuts from the reserves. A win first up in the series is crucial for the All Blacks, with England returning to full strength for the next two tests in Dunedin and Hamilton. Alex Coogan-Reeves with that report. After 20 years on the international netball scene, Irene van Dyke's calling it quits. She's the most capped player in the game, having played 217 tests, 145 of those for the Silver Ferns. Her decision comes seven weeks out from the Glasgow Commonwealth Games, where the Silver Ferns are the reigning gold medalists. Van Dyke, who's 41, says the decision was an agonising one, but she simply isn't playing well enough. I was pretty emotional after I spoke to Y, and, you know, as soon as they bring the girls' names up, I still tear up. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a big decision, but it is the right time, and I feel good about my decision. At what stage did you get to that decision? Oh, it was probably about four weeks ago. You know, I haven't been playing really sensational netball um, and even deteriorating towards the end of the season I realised look if you play international netball and um, you want to play against Australia you need to play better than your best and I am not there at the moment. Is that just something that's temporary though? (laughs) I hope so because I still want to play ANZ next year. Um, You know this year and next year is pinnacle events Nepal, New Zealand, and we desperately want to win gold. So I didn't want to be there but not be there. Um, And I think as soon as I put myself out of the equation, the team can build on the continuity and make sure that we bring back the gold. Although a a Silver Ferns team with Irene van Dijk maybe not playing at her best, but still there would seem to be a better proposition than one without. No, definitely not. No, there are they are shooters that has played better than me this year and they deserve to be there, honestly. All the talk about retirement, how much did that affect you? This has been coming since 2005, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Christy and I have been talking seriously about it for the last four weeks, really. And it got quite serious. And um, it never hits you until reality strikes. You know, it it it, it has been a, a wake up call, really. What was what wise reaction? She was fine. She respected my decision to um, retire. And uh, you know, she is such a phenomenal coach that she would get the girls up to speed in no time. Did she give you a hint that perhaps you weren't going to make the Glasgow squad? No, (laughs) no, no. The only hint I got was that the girls played better than me. 
So there was no indication or thought from your part that I should go now before I'm left out? No, no, no. And I'm really thankful that Y has given me this opportunity um, to to pull out on my terms and, you know, get the team to build on what should be a sensational year and next year as well. So you would have been expecting to be named in that Glasgow team? Well, I would have hoped so. <laughs> what was it that told you you weren't at your best? Um, probably my volume of shots that I that I haven't been putting up. Um, you know, for a goal shooter, you have to put up between twenty five and thirty shots at least, and I haven't been doing that. And I, I just think that um, you know, my mind has done something and then my body catches up to it so it is and I suppose that is inevitable but yeah it is it is it is purely just the fact that there are players that deserve to be there age is catching up with you well yes pretty much (laughs) and how do you cope with that because having been at the international level for 20 years that that must be tough it is going to be a huge adjustment. It is going to be a huge adjustment. And I think that is why I've been so emotional because, you know, like Bianca said to me last night, I I don't know any different. She said that Nepal has always been part of this family and um, all of a sudden that I'm not going to have the internationals and that commitment that the Silver Ferns have because really Nepal is a, a year-round sport with the internationals that w- we played so um yeah it is going to be a huge adjustment but it is going to be exciting have you got any plans well i i have i have plans here and there but nothing consolidated yet um i am ambassador to tall poppy and which is a real estate company and i'm doing um coaching clinics for them so and i've still got my teaching that i can fall back onto but yeah so these these are few things that I can still do. Where are you leaning? Real estate teaching? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I'll see where it pulls me. What pulls me the hardest? Or is there something else that you've thought that you would like to do and never had the opportunity previously? Oh, look, I'd love to be a mentor to young children and um, teenagers, and these these such a lot these such a huge variety of things that that I would like to explore, but obviously haven't because I haven't had the time. But um, I'm sure when I sit down and plan out what I want to do, that I will have more than enough to keep myself busy. Do you see your future in New Zealand? Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. When you look back on your career, what what are the highlights? Which ones do stand out for for both New Zealand and for South Africa? Um... For South Africa, um, coming second at the World Champs, um, 2003 World Champs when we beat Australia, that was sensational. And then I suppose the pinnacle would be 2010 Com Games when we went into double overtime. That was just the most amazing game. And what are you going to miss most? The people, um, the fans. I'm going to miss those girls because I feel like... They are ingrained in me. They are part of me, and I'm definitely going to miss going on tour with them. Do you see yourself coaching? Oh, yes. I'd love to do coaching as well. Yes, 
Yes, I'll start with the little ones, probably intermediate, secondary schoolish, and then I'll work my way up. <laughs> Would you see yourself coaching the Silver Ferns at any stage? Holy moly, that is a big job. That is a big job. I have no idea if I aspire to be that. <laughs> and that is such a brutal and cutthroat job that, oh, yes. I'm, maybe when I'm older, because, you know, if, if you screw up, you're out. I mean, you've always got a smile on your face, but is that just what the public sees or what's going on behind the smile? Is that... Oh, no, I'm a very happy person. See, I surround myself with happy people because that makes me happy. Um, no, <laughs> no, I am seriously. I am a very lighthearted, loving, cuddly person. So what you see is what you get. I was talking to retiring Silver Fern Irene Van Dyke, and Van Dyke intends playing on in the Trans-Tasman competition next year. The rules have been announced for the 2017 America's Cup with a new AC-62 boat to be used with a reduced crew of eight. The new boats are smaller than those used in San Francisco last year. There'll be a three-year racing program around the world from 2015 with races counting towards qualification for the 35th edition of the Cup. The top four will then compete in a playoff series to find the challenger. A nationality rule's also been introduced, with at least two crew members having to be nationals of the respective country's challenge. Holders Oracle are yet to announce just where the next America's Cup will be held, which Team New Zealand Managing Director Grant Dalton told Checkpoint's Mary Wilson is causing the biggest problem. It's not unusual to, to, to have the, the, deck, the deck stacked against you in the America's Cup. I mean, it's been like that for 163 years. But you, the devil's in the detail, and we're still dissecting the protocol to understand you know, you got to, when it's anything to do with the America's Cup, you have to look behind the words almost to see what the meaning is. Um, but these well, are unfairer than usual. Um, well, I think I, the, the one that I focus on, because it's, it's do we exist, will we exist one, is this issue of the um, entry fee two months after the yesterday's date. Well, part of the entry fee and then another part in December this year before you have a venue. Now, on the face of it, that doesn't sound that bad. Two million US in the scheme of um, the total budget of these doesn't sound a lot. But if you're a commercial team, or if you're a billionaire, two million this year, next year, whenever, who cares? But if you're a commercial team that cannot move without a venue, um, sponsors will always take the path of least resistance and no sport in the world you can sell if you don't know when it is and where it is. So what is the argument so, there? What would you have to say to a sponsor about the venue that would you, that would convince them no, that no, they should stump up with the money? They won't. They won't. They will, I, I know for a fact because I've seen the movie. Uh, you will not get commercial money behind the team of any significance before you have a venue. Right, and what are and they all, so scared of? Why not? Why well, are they well, so scared of that? I mean, if it's in Timbuktu and you don't fly there, for example, or it's not a city that's a, you know, a good market for watches or Nespresso or camper shoes, you just, you're not going to do it. Now, you might, because it's the America's Cup, you know, well, we think it's going to be there, say, that doesn't do it. I mean, I put it in these terms. If you are involved in rugby or any other major sport, the Olympics, you know when it is and where it is. So you can make a decision based on those and those facts. And whether we're doing this number of 45 regattas in the boat, 62 feet or 72 feet, really the sponsors don't understand that and get that deep into it. But they want to know, because most of the return comes from the cup period itself, when, we know when, but where.
So, and you you mind, won't know until the end of the year. Exactly, or even potentially right until till February. So that makes it. So what what the significance of that for us is that makes it hellishly difficult for us to survive. Um, not only do we have to keep rolling to keep up with the other teams in terms of operation, but we have uh, two million entry fee and a million US dollar bond by the end of the year. Even if we have a venue just before the end of the year, you still won't have got it sold commercially. You can't do it that fast. So what do you do next so then? What, what's the solution? You find a billionaire, you go to the government, what do you do? Or you get out? You've got to find, well, you might be forced out, basically, because you can't find the money. I mean, I just got back from overseas this afternoon, um, and, and one of our uh, private backers has put some money in. Great guys, the reason we even exist still from um, the last campaign and the one before that. Uh, it's not it's not going to get us across the line, but it's a big start. Um, but it's got to be private money to get us through till well till the end of February next year. Are, are you go, are you going to get it? Is there a chance that you you won't and you'll pull out? Yeah, there's a chance you won't and we'll pull out. And you know the tragedy. There's two tragedies of that. One is that from a commercial point of view, with the with the way it went last time, we've got the best sponsor lineup ready to go in my time. Certainly with my time with the team and probably ever. So that's ironic that we might not make it, but when we get there, if we get there, we've got the best financial resource we've ever had. The, uh, that's what, and the other re- probably sadder thing is that if we don't make it, that's it. You will not rebuild this team in the future. It will be gone because the people will go. So that will be the end of 25-year, 27-year dynasty of um, Team New Zealand. So can you go to the government then in the interim to say, give us the money well, until we've got the venue and then we can get the sponsors? Well, I think they'll be very conscious of the the, the uh, poll of public opinion in an election year for sure. We had three main criteria that we had to produce coming out of the last cup as a result of the five million that we're spending on people at the moment. One was governance, and we have a new board in place. Uh, two was a full review, which is completely, I think it was about eighty thousand words long. Um, and the third was basically showing a financial model that we can go forward with and. February next year, we absolutely can go forward um, financially, but we've got to get there. So are you going to go to the government and say, give us the funding in the interim till we know the venue and get the sponsors on board? I mean, it's a fair question. You're actually the first person that's asked it. They have got our full, um, and this is two weeks ago, we had to put a full business plan together for the full quantum of the money. And and with PwC, we put that together, and that is now in, in the government's hands. And they will either... You know, help us with that or, or, or not. I, I actually don't know the answer to that at this stage. That's Team New Zealand's Managing Director Grant Dalton talking to Mary Wilson. The new Warriors Chief Executive Jim Doyle is confident he can deal with the feud between club owners Eric Watson and Sir Owen Glenn. The pair fell out over the sacking of former coach Matt Elliott earlier this year, leading to the likelihood of one of them taking total ownership of the club. Jim Doyle, who was previously the Chief Executive of New Zealand Rugby League and is now the Chief Operating Officer at the NRL, will take up his new role in November when current club CEO Wayne Scurrer steps down. I asked him if it was a role that he'd been eyeing for some time. It wasn't something I was considering or thinking about. Um, at the end of the day, I, mean, I, I enjoy the game. Uh, obviously, I was at New Zealand Rugby League for a few years. Uh, the Warriors are the, the shot front for the game in the country uh, every week. Um, so it was something that obviously I thought, well, if it ever came up, it might be an opportunity, but no, it wasn't really something that I had given a lot of thought to. Uh, I mean, you you turn things around at 
New Zealand Rugby League, you, you've got a reputation as Mr Fixit. Is that what is needed at the Warriors? No, I don't think so. I mean, um, I don't know where my reputation of Mr Fixit comes from. I mean, I was part of a technology company that grew from 300 to 500 million, so I wasn't necessarily fixing that. It wasn't broken. Um, but certainly, um, there's no doubt any organisation can always continuously improve. And, I mean, Wayne's done a really good job there. The, the, one of the Warriors are one of the successful clubs. Um, hopefully, I can continue to, I can add some value to continue that going and, and uh, hopefully take it to another level. At New Zealand Rugby League, though, there was a, a lot of administrative rescuing that needed to be done, though, wasn't there? Oh, definitely. But the New Zealand Rugby League was in a whole different position to the Warriors. I mean, it had been losing money um, for a few years. It had very little credibility. Uh, it was in a whole different place. I mean, the Warriors are obviously financially doing okay. Um, they've got a lot of credibility. They've got good talent. Um, obviously, they've. I don't know all the people inside the organisation, but I know they've got some good staff there. Uh, so I think you, you certainly can't compare the two. You you say they're successful, but are, but are they? I mean, it's a while since uh, they've reached an NRL final. Uh, yes, I think. I mean, at the end of the day, if if you define success only with um, getting through to the final series and then getting on to to win the premiership, obviously they haven't won a premiership. They've been in two finals in their nineteen years. Next year is their twentieth year. Um, they've had some ups and downs, but I think if you look at the organisation, what it was like. You know, eight, nine, ten years ago, and some of the dark days that it's hard, it's, it's in a much better position now. But as most clubs, they're measured by silverware, aren't they? Correct. And um, I mean, obviously, they've had quite a lot of success with the juniors, but that hasn't transferred into the uh, into the NRL side. And hopefully, um, obviously, with the coaches they've got, with the playing roster, hopefully, I can come in and, and help add to that value um, and just get those little bit extra percents that they can get that. On that consistent on-field success has the club stagnated a little bit. I mean, a CEO in a role in the role he's been there almost ten years. I mean, that that's a long time for an organisation to have the same CEO. Oh, I don't know the club well enough to make a comment like that. I think you know it depends on an organisation. You know, you I've said to people if you work for a company for ten years, sometimes that's one year's experience ten times. But if you work for a company that's continuously evolving and growing and changing, well, those 10 years is actually 10 years' experience. Uh, so it just depends on the whole organisation, how it's changing and developing and that type of thing. So how long would you see yourself in this role? Oh, I'm not sure. I certainly wouldn't think it would be 10 years. Um, but at the moment, um, I'd be thinking, I don't know, two, three, four years, hopefully we can win a premiership or two. And um, at the right time, you... Uh, you know, one thing about a CEO, you've got to know when is the right time to get in and when is the right time to build succession, to hand it on to other people who, again, keep thinking a little bit differently to keep moving up. Relationships, you've also got one to manage with the club owners at their thro- at each other's throats. H- how do you do that? Um, actually, I, I know both Wayne, sorry, both Eric and Owen Glenn, and they're both very supportive um, of my, obviously, appointment. I mean, I've spent quite a lot of time with Eric. Uh, to get to where we are today, but I've had an email from Owen Glenn congratulating me and thanking me for getting involved. But as CEO, you could get caught in the crossfire. Oh, I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, whether you're part of an organisation that's got private owners who don't necessarily get on, or if you're part of an organisation that's got multiple shareholders who don't necessarily always see eye to eye, that's just part of the role. You just have to work with the owners of the business. If you're progressing the business 
and gaining success, then the owners tend to have less arguments around the business per se. Um, and that's what we, my focus will be, to make sure that they've got nothing to complain about in regards to the organisation. Um, if they've got any other separate things, well, that's completely different. Is that tougher, though, in something like a sports club where possibly personalities and egos tend to come to the fore, maybe somewhat more? I think it's tougher in a sporting organisation because of the profile. You know, I mean, I've worked in some businesses where um, the owners or shareholders have got significantly large egos. Um, but that tends to stay within the boardroom because it's not got the same profile with sport. Um, because of the media focus and attention, that tends to have obviously a much higher profile. And often those owners like that profile. <laughs> Perhaps that's right. You'd have to ask the owners. Your time in the NRL has how has that worked for you in the sense of has it opened your eyes particularly to just how things operate that you may have thought that or you hadn't seen from the NZRL side. Oh, most, def- most definitely. I mean, the, the comparison between the NZRL and the NRL sort of night and day, really. Um, I mean, the complexities of having 16 clubs all with their own, naturally, their individual uh, requirements, um, all working together, whether it be from, you know, funding, whether it be from game development, whether it be from match officials, whether it be from strategic plans, whether it be from merchandising, whether it be from trying to drive crowds, whether it be a whole integrity unit, all sorts of stuff. It's um, it's quite significantly different to the New Zealand Rugby League and, again, been a really good experience. So ha- having seen that in action with those 16 clubs, is there something that you would particularly bring to the Warriors? Oh, I think for me, over, I had the combination of both business skills, New Zealand Rugby League uh, experience, experience of being over here, uh, understanding what, makes a club successful, what are the key things to focus on to drive the right outcomes. I would say I've been fortunate enough to gain a lot of that experience and hopefully I can bring to the Warriors. I was talking to new Warriors Chief Executive, Jim Doyle. The Geraldine Rally driver Hayden Patton is taking the next step in his ambition to become a full-time driver on the World Rally Championship. Patton and co-driver John Kennard start a seven-event stint with the Hyundai factory team in the Rally of Sardinia in Italy. Patton's categorised as a junior development driver for the South Korean team, which he hopes will turn into a full-time drive. Barry Guy spoke to the 27-year-old ahead of the rally and asked him if he now felt he was realising his dream. Oh, certainly we're getting close. Um, the, the next step from here is to, to, be, to try and be winning uh, in the future. So, uh, But no, you know, to have this opportunity is a, is a massive step towards that and We've already seen uh, by working with the team uh, so far this year just you know how having all the resources and the experience around you makes it makes a huge difference and it's certainly a pretty surreal experience to be part of it all. Um, but you know we're not here just to enjoy the experience. We're here to actually make the most of it and to build a long-term relationship with the team. Um, so what have Hyundai said? What do they want from you in the seven events this year? Uh, well, the big thing is, and we've been brought into the team as a, a junior development driver, so, uh, you know, the team's right behind us to help develop me, um, and we've already seen that just with how much they've been helping me behind the scenes with my driving and, and uh, a few areas outside the car. Um, so, you know, the, the big thing for this year is to show progression. Uh, each rally is to take a step up in performance, and as the season comes to an end, uh, is to be competitive against uh, the number one and number two driver within the team. Um, so... We have some good benchmarks, uh, but 
this weekend is really just about learning, trying to get to the finish and, and not worrying too much about the times. So I suppose previously you've pretty much had to do a lot of the things yourself. You're now perhaps enjoying all that expertise and you're just sort of sitting there taking it in? Yeah, well, it's obviously a lot of pressure taken off us in some aspects outside the car. You know, our job now is solely to drive the car. Um, so now we can put a lot more emphasis and time on the preparation, uh, on the pace notes, on the study, the homework, the training, um, and, and all the parts that uh, they go part and parcel of being a driver. So, um, so yeah, while it does take some pressure off on one aspect, it, it puts some more pressure uh, on the driving side of it. Uh, Terry Neuville, of course, uh, well-known rally driver. He, he's been competing for Hyundai. Have you had much to do with him about uh, what to expect from the car? Yeah, we're working with uh, all the teammates, uh, both Terry and Yuho, uh, the number two driver, and you know they've been both very helpful. Um, they're sharing their data with us uh, from testing, um, giving me a few pointers on the event, particularly this event, as I haven't done it before, and. Um, you know, they've been really helpful. So, um, you know, as I say, ultimately they are the, the benchmark for us because it's the same team, same car. Um, so they're the ones that we want to be competitive with later in the season. So you talked about being a uh, development driver for Hyundai. What does hopefully that lead into? I mean, do you have expectations for the year? Do, do you have to sort of, you know, gain certain things um, to hopefully continue on? Yeah, well, the, the expectations for me from this opportunity is, is to build a long-term relationship with the team. Uh, ultimately, from here, we, we want to try and get a full full program, 13 rally program with the team the next year. Um, but a lot of that's going to hinge on, on how we perform uh, this year. And and uh, that's not just going to be by the results on the stages. Uh, as I say, it's also going to be gauged by the progression and the improvements we show from rally to rally. Uh, how we work with the team uh, outside the, the car, uh, the testing, the feedback we give. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different aspects um, that we have to tick off the list, if you like, to, to try and have that um, long-term relationship. And what about uh, Hyundai? Are they happy how the season's going for them? You know, um, there's obviously been a, a few struggles to, to keep up with the uh, leading teams at the moment. You know, the, the whole team is very happy with how they've been performing so far. Uh, what a lot of people forget is just how young the team and the car is, and um, but basically this year is a, a testing and development year, uh, which is something that most teams normally do uh, in a non-competition environment, whereas uh, Hyundai, uh, you know, they've come forward um, and they're doing it on events and, and learning. So, uh, you know, they already have a podium. Um, they've been already won several stages. I think it shows uh, their intentions are pretty clear that you know I think they are going to be winning in the, in the near future and they're uh, putting everything into it to make sure they are. Nice car to be behind the wheel of, is it? You're you're enjoying that and perhaps the power and those sorts of things. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Like um, feeling comfortable in the car. Uh, okay, it's still early stages. There's still a lot more room for improvement in terms of how I set up the car, but. At the moment, uh, you know, it feels like an old glove, if you like, and, and that's the most important thing. That's rally driver Hayden Patton talking to Barry Guy. Another eight athletes have been added to the New Zealand track and field team for next month's Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Selected along with the women's 4x400metre relay team are 1500metre runners Julian Matthews and Nikki Hamblin and 5000metre runner Lucy Van Dalen, the 1500metre representative at the London Olympics. 
Van Dalen told Richard Wayne that having competed in London in 2012, she knows what to expect at the Glasgow Games. It definitely helps just knowing what it, it will probably be like and, yeah, the atmosphere in which you're going to be in. Um, but definitely each year, you know, there's one major championship meet and so you take everyone seriously and each year they help for the following year. So this is definitely a big part of my build-up to Rio and, yeah, I'm stoked to be on the team. What are your aims for Glasgow? What do you want to get out of it? Medal? Um, I mean, definitely that is always the goal. And, yeah, I guess... It just depends on how the race turns out. I'm doing the 5K in Glasgow, so um, it's a bit different for me, but I definitely feel strong this year and I feel like my base is, is really good. Lucy Van Dalen is new to the 5,000 metres and she's considering trying to qualify for Glasgow in her specialist 1,500 metres as well. There is a chance, um, so I'm heading over to Europe in less than two weeks and I'll get into some 15s, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Nick Willis is thinking about competing in the 5,000 as well as the 1,500. Yep. He says something along the lines of if it comes down to a sprint, he should have it because of the shorter distance experience. Is that the same sort of approach for you? Yeah, I think it gives. It definitely is a confidence booster knowing you have a bit of speed in the last lap. Um, yeah, and with 1,500 metre speed, I feel like I can hopefully fight to the line. Some 5K runners don't have that speed, therefore they start running fast from the gun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely... You know, if we're in a pack, it will definitely be something I'm thinking of, um, having 1,500 metre speed. And the field, is it pretty competitive in the 5,000 at Glasgow? Yeah, I mean, at these meets, it's always going to be competitive. Any nations to watch out for? Uh, Kenya. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> of course, the Kenya. <laughs> Lucy, you, you had a time in the American program, made the All-American team. How important is being part of something like that, a high-performance program at, a, at an elite uh, American university level? How do, you, how do you think that's helped you? Yeah, it definitely helped me. I think it it was just a really great atmosphere to be in for my college years and just to be surrounded by so many athletes. So every morning I'd be running with eight other girls, um, whereas now I run a lot by myself, which kind of sucks. But um, yeah, I think at that stage in my career, it was really important and it helped me really like fall in love with the sport. And I really gained a lot of experience racing overseas and with, you know, really good athletes. So um yeah, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It's not for everyone, but it really worked out for me and my sister. Do you think that system's better or worse than other countries? Um, they do really well over there to support their athletes. And it, I mean, it was such a blessing to be able to get a college degree at the same time as pursuing my athletic dreams. So um, A master's no less, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really good for me in that sense because um, sometimes you have to sacrifice those things to do well in your sport. Um, so I feel really blessed I was able to balance it. Zoe Ballantyne, Louise Jones, Portia Bing, Catherine Camp and Brooke Cull got together specifically to qualify a women's 4x400 metre relay team for the Commonwealth Games. I spoke to Zoe and Louise. Yeah, we actually, um, all our big competitions were over. We had done Aussie Nationals, we had done New Zealand Nationals and we ended up putting on one last meet and one last chance to get the time and we, we did it. So yeah. It was a pretty good weekend because it was the week after Australian Championships and it was sort of put on specifically for the relay and the men did a 400 metre flat and it was just, the weather wasn't with us for about half an hour beforehand Torrential rain Torrential rain on the drive yep. to Hamilton <laughs> But then it opened up and it turned out fine for a bit of rain yeah. on the last two laps but no, they were with us on that day and we were lucky enough to get the qualifying time What did that feel like at the time? 
Oh, incredible. We were jumping for joy. <laughs> so excited, hugging each other. Because <laughs> we, um, we broke the New Zealand record, so that's the, the fastest new, four New Zealand women have ever run. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty, pretty cool feeling. Louise Jones is perhaps the form runner in the relay team. She says she's just had her best season since she started running. Jones won the 200 and 400 metre double in personal best times at the National Championships in March in Wellington. 200 was most probably my biggest surprise, most probably. But um, no, I was absolutely stoked with that weekend. I was absolutely stoked. I couldn't have asked for a better weekend. What's your position going to be in the relay? Have you sorted this out yet? Like, who's, the, who's going to take the, take the last run home and all that? That's all up in the air. That's all going to be decided over the next two months, I'd say, before, before the game. How do you decide that? Is it like uh, who's sprinting the fastest uh, will get the, the home leg? I know. Our coach, Chris, here, he's, he's got it written down. He's got it, he's got it under control, I think. I think yeah. that's his job. Yeah. <laughs> We've just told to run. Yeah. The relay runners know the field will be tough in Glasgow, but they're aiming to get among the medals, however hard that may be. It's always a dream, especially at Commonwealth. Is that what more can you go for? You've got to go into it thinking that you're going to win and thinking what the other teams might do. Someone might drop a baton, someone might change out of the zone, and that's the difference between whether you get the goal by 0.1 or something like that. So you've always got to go into it thinking you're going to get top. You've got some tough competition there, are they like the Jamaicans involved, are they? Yeah, definitely, a lot of tough competition. Good to test yourself against nations like that, though, I mean, you're just the best, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly, especially when you see them in the Diamond Leagues and things like that. It's like, what more could you ask for? Just the experience alone, and if that doesn't get you further up, so I don't know what will. Richard Wayne with that report. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us here, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Houston. On behalf of the Extra Time team, bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.